So, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We were all baptised by the one Spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given one Spirit to drink, And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And and Paul in these verses, he wants us to grasp how amazing and revolutionary and countercultural and significant and how awesome the church actually is. The body of Christ actually is. And through this he wants us to see how revolutionary the church is. How amazing this this body that Jesus says he's building actually is. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Jesus is about something in the earth. Jesus is building something in the earth. Jesus is active in the earth. He's building his church. And these verses are given so that we can see and comprehend and grasp and understand how amazing the church is. He gives us an illustration so that we can see. That's what illustrations do. They give us a picture into something that we wouldn't otherwise be able to comprehend. So each person here is a living, breathing illustration of the wonder and the glory and the magnificence and the revolutionary nature of the church. We can look around and see illustration after illustration of just how magnificent what Jesus is building right now actually is. He's building his body. So you know the physical body has many parts. Many parts. And all those parts have diverse functions. And some of the parts of the body are are seen and they're prominent. And some of the parts of the body are hidden. There's limbs. Right now there's white blood cells rushing around your body, attacking viruses and protecting your body. There's red blood cells going around, beating heart, pushing it around, taking oxygen. Right now, just working. The liver, the kidneys, the brain, they're all working right now. All active, all doing something. And there's diversity in the body. Like there's diversity in the church. Without conformity. The pancreas doesn't look like the brain. And the eye doesn't look like the foot. And the hand doesn't look and do and work and function like the knee. So there's diversity without conformity functioning in absolute perfect unity. the body, our physical body, diversity without conformity 
functioning, hopefully, in perfect unity. And that's when we need a breakthrough from either the medical professional or a miracle from God when a part of the body's not working. Actually, bits of the body call attention to themselves when they're not working. They generally just carry on working without drawing any attention to themselves whatsoever. They just function. I remember I broke my little toe when I was playing football and I carried on playing with a broken toe. And my little toe was drawing a lot of attention to itself (laughs) each match I was trying to run. And uh, because a part of the body wasn't quite working in perfect unity. And Paul says, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. There's gifts, there's anointings. There's abilities, there's capacities, there's grace, there's faith. There's all these things all working with, in that diversity, without conformity. And when it's in perfect unity, it's, it's doing its job powerfully to be a vehicle of the kingdom. To be, we know the kingdom of God is much bigger than the church. And the church is in the kingdom and the church is a vehicle of a advancing the rule and reign of King Jesus everywhere. And it does it through the body. And so this, <coughs> this picture, this illustration of the body has revolutionary implications and applications to our life. You might be thinking, I've just come to a meeting to sing some songs and then go away and get something to feed me and stir me. Didn't realise I was part of something that was, this is much bigger than I realised. Has huge implications on us as individuals. Has huge implications on the kind of community we're actually called to build and what that community is to look like. And I want to unpack four applications, four implications, four things that tell us about the culture that we're building here and what we're called to be part of. (coughs) The first one is this. We are all absolutely equal. All absolutely equal. All equally part of of the body of Christ. Paul says we are all sustained and refreshed by the same Holy Spirit. We're all drawing our life from our union with Christ and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We all became believers the same way. We all needed a saviour in the exact same way. We had all fallen short. And we needed one to restore us back to our former glory. We all needed someone to pay our debt for us because we had sinned against God in thought, word and deed. We all come through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. All equally called sons and daughters of a gloriously good father. Mm. Yeah. We all come home the same way. Mm. Mm. So no one 
is superior to anyone. Yes, come on. No one is. And by implication, no one is inferior to anyone. This is, this is, this is, Jesus started a revolution. Jesus started such a revolution. You know what a revolution is? It's the forcible overthrow of government. When he said, I'm building my church, and then Paul and others start to understand it's a body. When Jesus said, don't call anybody rabbi. Be like a child, become like a servant. Hallelujah. Started a revolution. Amen. No one will teach anyone. We'll all know God. No mediators. All become a priesthood. Only the priest could enter the holy place. Only the priest could enter the holy place and encounter the presence of God. And that was on a particular time. There was a veil between people and God. And Jesus, just before he dies, he splits the curtain between the Holy of Holies and now all people can come into that holy place. That prophecy, that promise of Joel, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh <coughs> sons, daughters, old, young men, women, Jew, Greek, rich, poor I'll pour it out on all of them and they'll all <coughs> prophesy dream dreams, have visions all Paul in Galatians there is no longer man, woman, slave, free all come into Christ the same way absolute equality visibility in the body visibility of function in the body does not mean that person is over you it's revolutionary because he's demolishing hierarchy entirely and Jesus himself says, I'm the head of the body. Mm. <coughs> and then we're all the body. Visibility, prominence, does not mean over. It doesn't mean better or more than. It does not mean more spiritual, more significant, more access to God. It doesn't. That leadership is equipment in the body for the body to function as the body. Apostle, pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet. Equipment in the body. So the body becomes prophetic. The body becomes evangelistic. The body becomes full of the presence of God. Leadership is equipment 
so that the body functions healthily. It's the body on an adventure. It's the body on an advancement. It's the body that gets to play. It's the body. The the leadership cultivate the soil. Leadership, you know, like in a greenhouse or a garden. It's like leadership might come along and, and put some boundaries to protect the garden and leadership might remove a few rocks and leadership might cultivate and water and sow and, and leadership might might bring, the apostolic leadership might say, actually we want to be full of the presence of God and, and, and bring the priorities of heaven, but that doesn't mean over, better or more. And later on we'll look at it, it says first apostles, then prophets, that does not mean more, that just means we need those things in the body, we need those things in the lifeblood, we need the priorities of heaven. We need the life blood of heaven. We need that preoccupation with the presence of God. But it doesn't mean better. It's grace that flows from member to member to member. It's huge. It's a revolutionary thing. And, and this longing for this is what, is what personally drives what I'm longing to be part of. I live for the body, the people, the individuals coming into calling and destiny. Hallelujah. And to know who they are. Hallelujah. The first inkling I had that, of that as a desire was when I was ten years old at school. And I had school dinners once a week and I made sure it was school dinners when it was fish and chips. Because why have school dinners when it's... I don't want to offend anybody, but (laughs) when it's a pot that's sloppy English. (laughs) And there would be a chip monitor. A what? A chip monitor. The one who was responsible for (laughs) serving the chips. And the chip monitor looked after themselves first. <laughs> and they looked after their best friend. And then there were no chips for anyone else. <laughs> and I said, if I ever become chip monitor, I'll make sure everybody gets the chips. Now, now I, I became chip monitor, but I'm not very good at maths. Or, 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 so I actually had no chips. Because in my longing for equality of chips, I didn't share them out equally for myself. <laughs> now I've got a chip on my shoulder. <laughs> Number two. This body illustration surpasses old labels that we used, that we used to use to identify ourselves. So whether Jew or Greek or slave or free, God loves the nations. And God loves your unique cultures, your unique histories, your unique outlooks, the way you see the world, the way you do family, the way you do community, the way you do life, your priorities, different ways that cultures do things. God loves 
nations and cultures. But in Christ, there's an identity that supersedes and surpasses and is even greater than our cultural identity is that we are sons and daughters of God. That we've come home through Christ to the Father. That's our superior identity. So it's superior to nationality. So he says there's neither whether Jew or Greek. So some of our some of our cultural outlooks are beautifully in line with the kingdom. Some of our cultural outlooks are just neutral. They're not good, they're not bad, it's just how we do things in our nation. Some of our cultural outlooks are opposed to the kingdom. So some are just, they're going the kingdom... And some are just going the opposite direction. So maybe British queuing is, is part of the kingdom. I don't know. Will we, will we queue? I don't know. Is it a kingdom thing? And I guess gentleness and politeness, it can be that, that, that can be a kingdom aspect, but not telling the truth. <laughs> And saying we like things when we don't, <laughs> and being terrified of confrontation <laughs> and speaking the truth in love, that's not kingdom. That's true, yes. So, our superior identity is the kingdom of heaven, and at that point, we're saying, I'm not going to learn from another nation, I've got to learn from the nation of heaven, I've got to line up with heaven, because our superior identity is we're sons and daughters of the living God, we are yeah. seated in heavenly places, we're learning the language, the culture, the lived out natural behaviour of another realm and we're adjusting. We can't say, I'm just like this because I'm British. It's what I am. No, adjust to heaven. Yes. Learn from heaven. We, and so it surpasses old labels. So no one, again, is nationally inferior or nationally inferior. Yes. In Christ, we come into a national equality because we're all sons and daughters of God, citizens of heaven, seated with him in heavenly places. So the gospel has a capacity to reconnect us with God and bring international and national healing between people groups who would have considered themselves inferior or superior, dominating or being dominated. The gospel brings healing to international groupings and brings peace where there was dysfunction and disharmony. That's the power of what Jesus did. That's the cosmic, international power of the cross and what the cross has done. It's a bigger thing than just, I'm right with God or I'm part of a church. We're part of a restoration of, of, of international, national things. Mm. And also, he says, it's a greater identity than um, being a slave or free. So those who previously were only good to receive instructions and orders and commands become equal to those who previously gave all the commands. And so the, 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 the church, as it emerged, was starting to deal with those things that once they're in the church, everybody was equal, slave and free. Rich and poor. Working class, middle class, upper class. All equal within the body of Christ. 
It's a social cultural revolution. So that people who are, are super wealthy or maybe super educated are not superior than a person who thinks, you know what, my job is really hard and I don't hardly even earn the minimum. It means that if you walk into a place and you feel, do you know what, I'm qualified for a greater job than this, and you hear this often, I'm qualified to be a solicitor in my nation, but here I can't get a job in what I'm qualified (coughs) for because my qualification hasn't translated. We experience that. (laughs) Michelle experienced that, of having a doctorate from the Sorbonne in France when we got married, working (coughs) as a French assistant, even though she's super, super clever to teach in a university. And it's it's, it's learning that my identity is I'm a royal son and daughter, even if my economic status and my work status are below my true capacity. That's who I truly am. I'm royal. I'm a king. I'm a priest. I'm a carrier of good news wherever I go. So it's superior to economic, it's superior to nationality things, definitions. Number three implication is we are all interdependent but all its many parts form one body so it is with Christ the human heart was designed to be part of something bigger than themselves and research says (coughs) that community is our most basic and fundamental need we have to be connected we have to be connected even connected beyond a family grouping to a a community grouping. We have to be connected to something bigger than ourselves. And this has huge implications on us because it means that when we come to Christ, we are not just connecting to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, we're connecting to a body. That we're born again into a family, into a church, into a community. That means part of coming to Christ, part of that is actually... kissing goodbye to independent living. It's saying, actually, I've come in to be part of a body. I've come to connect to a body. I'm now part of something that's bigger than myself. I've been baptised into Christ. I'm now part of his body. It means we, we say goodbye to independent living and just calling our own shots of what benefits me individually. And we start thinking more of not just me, but us. Us, yeah. it's we. People in, who support football teams always say, we won. Yes. We won. Yes. We're winning. We won the league. Great. No. <laughs> <laughs> Crystal Palace fans want that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I will say it's we, and you think, no, you, you didn't even kick a ball. <laughs> but it's we. Yeah. So it's we. We're moving forward. We have momentum. We're seeing breakthrough. We're seeing healing. We're, we're seeing advancement. So because we're interdependent, no one can say, you don't need me. Mm-hmm. No one can. Mm-hmm. It's actually a stronghold that needs to be torn down. No one can say you don't need me. No one can say because I'm not like X and Y and Z, I'm useless. The body removes the need for comparison, competition and performance. 
No one can say, I'm unnecessary. I need you and I need your strength and you need my strength. The the gifts, the strengths you carry are not your identity, they are for other people. So it has to flow out from you. It's not for you to devour for yourself an identity, a gifting, a calling, an anointing, some grace, so that you can say, this is what I am. It's so that you're, you pour it out. You do, you do, you do. Just like right now, the heart is beating. Right now, the white blood cells are doing. Right now, the red blood cells are doing. The foot is doing. The brain is doing. The heart is doing. The lungs, the kidneys, the, all these parts of the body are all just doing. Pouring out for the benefit of those around us. Believing you are essential, believing that you have a part to play, fills our desire for significance, for meaning, for worth. We are designed to feel we're contributing and we're making something happen and we're a player and we've got something to give and we're, we're, we're doing something that's bringing health to the body. There's real desires that we need to be having filled. We need to be part of a body, a community that's bigger than us. And we need who we are to be flowing out to other people. Number four. Not uniformity and conformity. The body, I think I might even have five here. might have miscounted them. This is four. There might even be a five. (laughs) Those chip days are still here. (laughs) (laughs) Not uniformity and conformity. The body is not made up of one part, but of many. There is the necessity of diversity. Each member has its unique function. The body speaks about organisation and diversity. The body is this perfectly organised machine. And there's diversity within it. So there's that thing of be who you were made to be. Be who God has called you to be. Be that gift that you are. There's not a, a conformity to... We all have to look and speak and act exactly the same. And to land here then, I think this is where the body, the church differs from the body physically. Is that in the body, the, the, the parts play a fixed role. Like the foot is never going to be the hand. And the eyes are never going to be the stomach. But I do think in the body, although who we essentially are and our personality and how he's wired us and gifted us, we, we learn to find out there's aspects of just we were fearfully and wonderfully made and we are not in comparison to other people. I still think there's that dimension that we can grow in faith yeah. and we can grow in maturity and we can discover gifts that emerge and who we are on the journey, there are turning point moments when we discover something more of our contribution to yeah. the body. That's good. Mm. There's something about serving that brings momentum. And I've said this many times, but when my first ever job in church was making 67 blackcurrant juices for creche. <laughs> it was a large church, and that's what I did. 
there's something about just getting stuck in that gives your life momentum. There's something just about, about serving that just gets you going. And you just don't know the wisdom and the creativity of God and how he dovetails something that you think was absolutely irrelevant to what you became and began to do and how he seamlessly takes your momentum of service and says, oh, and it becomes something. So I think that's where the body physically differs from the body of the church. And it's not a hierarchical ladder that we climb, it's a just being who you're meant to be, functioning in the grace that you've got, finding out ways you just can serve in the general and see how it leads to the specific. Mature in your gifting, develop your gifting, hone your gifting, practice your gifting, dig into your gifting, learn from other people who have got the same gift and glean from them. Study, read about it, pour into it. Like Paul says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. That you might begin to comfort and exhort and, 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 and bring edification through the gift of the prophetic. And you begin to say, I want, it, I want that gift, I don't have it today, I'm earnestly desiring to step into it and move into it. Believe that you can seek a gift for tomorrow without dismissing the gift that you are and the gift that you carry today. Amen. That you can be saying, I'm grateful for who I am, I'm grateful for the call of God, I'm grateful for the prophetic things that are moving me forward, I've not yet arrived into everything I'm going to be and everything I'm going to do, but I'm so grateful for the gift that I am in you today, I'm so grateful for the gift that I carry today, that, that somehow it's okay to be dissatisfied with contentment. And I think that's the wonderful... There's always more. There's always more in God. There's always more. There's always more that we can grow in faith. There's always more grace. There's always more favour. There's always more anointing. There's always more possibilities. There's always more. There's always more things we'd love to influence and shape and be involved in. And that grace pulls us forward as we serve faithfully with the thing in front of us, believing that actually I can be dissatisfied and I can be content and I can be both those things at identically the same time. Mm. 